Well, today we're going to jump back into our study um, as we've been looking at uh, the great com- this great commission passage of Matthew uh, chapter 28, um, and we're calling this, this little study in that multiply, because I believe that as we look at what Jesus calls us to do, he doesn't call us to make converts, he doesn't call us just to go and, and tell people the good news of the gospel, but he, but he calls us to go and multiply and make more disciples, make that which we should be, right? And, and so that's where we get this idea of multiplication from. And um, last week we, we took uh, a good amount of time talking about that idea of multiplication and how we see it throughout <coughs> Scripture. This, this concept of a multiplication isn't new here to Jesus' commission. Uh, it goes back to the very beginning. Um, and last week we, we, we focused most of our time on, on the beginning part of this passage, uh, verses 16 uh, through 18, where Jesus is, is helping his disciples understand the why. If Jesus is going to call them to go and to do this, uh, this challenging task, this, this monumental movement that he's calling them to make, it's important that we understand why, right? So we talked a lot about where Jesus says, uh, all authority has been given to me. Because this isn't just a man that we're following, because this is a man who, who literally died and rose from the dead, right, and now has power over life and death. That's the why we go out and do this. And so we talked about that, and then we talked about that call to go um, and how we're not going to make disciples as long as we continue to be comfortable in our little environments. Um, but disciple-making is going to require movement. It's going to require us to, to get outside of our, of our comfort zone. And so um, we, we started there last week. Um, and this week, we're going to add to that understanding of multiplication. Uh, multiplication requires movement. But multiplication also requires reproduction, um, right? That, that one may seem pretty, pretty common sense, right? But, but if, if we don't reproduce, if we continue just to gather and we never uh, make more disciples, then, then we're, never going to, uh, we're never going to accomplish this mission that Jesus calls us to make. And so it's going to require reproduction. Um, and, and the only way that we can do that, right, the only way that we can, we can make more people like us, the only way we can make more disciples like us is if first we are disciples, right? Is that, you guys following the logic behind that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you can't make something that you're not. Um, A.W. Tozer said it this way, only a disciple can make a disciple, right? Pretty, pretty simple phrase, but, but very, very deep in, in what that means, right? Essentially what he's picking up on is that idea that if we're not first disciples, if we aren't first following Jesus in the way that a disciple would follow Jesus, then there's no way that we're going to make other disciples. Um, and so today, my, my main objective is to help us to understand what a disciple is. Because um, I think when we can understand what a disciple is, it's really easy for, uh, for me to then say, okay, let's go and make more of those. Um, and next week we'll talk more about some of those practical ways that we go and do that. Um, but I think we have to understand what a disciple is. What is this that we are trying to make? Um, and so I want us to just read through the passage um, this is Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to flip there. It'll be up on the screen. But this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Um, and we're going to read down through verse, uh, verse 20. There should be an earlier. There we go. Okay. That's what the Word of God said. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. If you would, let's uh, just let's just pray one more time, uh, and then we'll we'll jump right into this. Father, thank you for opportunity again this morning to to gather, uh, Father, to get into your Word together, to be challenged, God, by the text, what it means to be a disciple, God. We know that we're not just this is not just man's word, God, but this is your word. And so it has authority in our life, God. It has power and a place in our life. And so, God, as we as we spend time to s- just studying this today, Lord, um, I pray that it wouldn't just be a mental exercise, God, but it would be a heart, um, God, just a heart journey for us that we would go on and that we would change who we are, uh, God, and God, we would become more and more the people that you want us to be, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start out by talking about this word disciple, right? What What is a disciple? Um, what is a disciple, and, and why is that important? Um, and and it's, I think it's important to understand that this word here that Jesus uses um, that was written in the Greek, right, that, the, uh, that Matthew is recording for us, right? It's the Greek word mathetes. Okay? So everybody say that. It'll make, make you feel good about yourself this morning. Mathetes. Ah, see, you guys are so smart. You guys are learning Greek already. Um, and what I'm going to tell you is that it's important to understand the Greek, but it's going to be way more important. We're going to actually go back and look at the Hebrew. Um, because what we need to understand is that Jesus was a Jew, right? He came in the line of Abraham. Uh, he came in uh, the, this Jewish culture. And that was very important when Jesus said, make a disciple. I believe that Jesus had more of the Jewish understanding of disciple more than just this Greek word. See, the Greek word, mathetes, really just means a learner, right? And, and while that helps us some, and I think it's important that we understand that we learn about Jesus, when we understand the Hebrew context, the, the Jewish context of what a disciple was, it has a much deeper, heavier meaning to it. Um, and so the Old Testament phrase that, that they would use um, for disciple, disciple um, is Talmud. So everybody say that, Talmud. Talmud. See, now we're like, we're like next level. Okay, now we're not only learning the Greek, but now we're going back to the Hebrew, right? Talmud. Um, or if there's multiple, it would be Talmudim, right? So that's multiple disciples. Um, some of you guys are trying to get extra credit. It's all right. Uh, Tom, you can have an extra piece of cake today. It's good for you. Right? Uh, but, but a Talmud was a disciple. And, and the goal of a Talmud's life, right, um, was to be just like the rabbi that they followed. Right? The, 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 the ultimate prize, the ultimate um, um, compliment that a Talmud could have would be to say, you are just like your rabbi. Right? You were just like your rabbi. That was like that was the goal in life for a Talmud, and and it's important that we understand um, the context of this this word Talmud and what that looked like in Jesus's day. See, Jesus did ministry in the in the area of Galilee, and the area of Galilee had a very specific way uh, in which the Talmud, a very specific process through which uh, these disciples would grow up and they would they would learn to uh, to be like the rabbi. And so in this region, um, kids between the ages of two and five, they would begin studying the scripture. They would begin studying the Torah, the Old Testament, uh, the first five books, the law. So they would, they would start to, to learn that. And, and not only would they learn it, but they would, they would try to, to, to memorize it. And so by the age of 12, okay, by the age of 12, a child that has grown up learning this and memorizing this, um, would be able to memorize the entire uh, Torah, those first five books. 
Now think about that for a second, right? Uh, this really humbled me this week. Because I complain trying to memorize a verse of scripture. And they're memorizing like books like Leviticus. I mean, have you ever read the book of Leviticus? Right? I have a hard time reading through it. But yet, by the age of 12, they're memorizing this. And so by the age of 12, as they turn 13, those that were truly gifted, those that truly had a knack for memorizing and understanding Scripture, they would move on to the next level of their training. Now those that, that couldn't do that, those that couldn't memorize it or maybe just didn't have that gift to do that, uh, they would then enter into the family business, the family trade. Um, and their schooling would stop for them. But at 13, they would move on to memorizing the Tanakh. Everybody say Tanakh. Tanakh. Man, that's a good word too, right? Anybody have any idea what that word means? To hit on the door. To knock on the door. Wow. Wow, that was like, I don't I, Amen, church. We'll see you next week. Uh, to knock on the door. My boys would love that. That needs to go in their joke book. <laughs> Tanakh is the, is the Old Testament It's what the Jews would call their Old Testament um, And it was an acronym it, it stood for different segments of the way they broke up the Old Testament um, But they would go on at age 13 um, To begin to memorize Not just the first five books But the entire Old Testament And this was a process um, This is a process that would take them To about the age of 30 um, but somewhere between the age of 15 and 18, for those that had been identified with the gift and the ability uh, to memorize this, uh, and they saw the potential in them, uh, some, somewhere between 15 and 18, um, they would go and they would find a rabbi that they wanted to follow. Okay, that was part of their process. Um, and, and so, so for a, for a young uh, Jewish you know, young man who was studying, uh, wanted to be a rabbi, he would go and find a rabbi. And he would find a rabbi that he wanted to be just like. Um, and so just like today, how there's different uh, preachers and pastors that have different giftings, and, and we all like have a little different uh, personality and giftings that God has wired us in, um, so was the process back then. And so if a young boy uh, would, would look for uh, a rabbi to follow, and maybe he said, you know what, uh, that rabbi, I really like him. He's really pastoral, but I, I just don't think that, I just don't know that I'm gifted that way, but yet, he would find another rabbi and say, this guy is an incredible storyteller, right? And he's like, I think I really have a gifting. And so that young man would go and he would go to that rabbi and he would say, can I follow you? And history tells us that most of the times the rabbi actually wouldn't respond. He would make that young man follow him around for about six months because he knew that if that young man was going to follow him, this wasn't just a casual commitment, but this was an entire life <laughs> investment. And so he wanted to make sure that that was really what this young man wanted to do because it was going to require him to give up everything in his life to follow him. And so he would, from the age of 15 all the way up to the age of 30, would follow this rabbi. He would do everything that the rabbi did. He would sit and he would listen and he would learn from the rabbi. This is the process through which Jesus went. And then about age 30, right, which is, which is when Jesus began his public ministry, he would, the rabbi or that student, that Talmud, would be considered worthy enough to have some authority. So at that point, he could go and begin teaching on the books of the Old Testament. And so this was the process of discipleship. This is the process through which the, the disciple, uh, which Jesus is talking for us to make, this is the process through which they would go to make disciples process of becoming like the rabbi 
That's the big that's the big moment that I want us to understand is that when Jesus says go and make disciples, go and make those that are like you. And 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 for us to do that first, we must be like our rabbi. We must be following Jesus in this way. I love how Dallas Willard um, puts this. He says this. He says, um, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Think about that for a minute. Right? Like that should be the goal. As we think about life, as we navigate life, if we truly say that Jesus is our rabbi, if he is our teacher, if he's the one through which our lives we're following, our lives should look like it's him living through us. Right? It's pretty pretty heavy. And so we, we need to understand that to be a follower of Jesus is much more than just learning about Jesus. It's much more than just being a convert, right, and, and saying a prayer at some point in our life. But it's a complete investment of our life. It's a complete process of giving our lives away. And we're going to talk more about the Talmud here in just a few minutes. But Matthew in his gospel also gives us a picture of what Jesus' process was when Jesus was making disciples and calling disciples. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, and so what I want us to do is I want us to look at, at Matthew's account of Jesus calling some of his first disciples, some of his first uh, Talmud, if you would. So this is in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. And you're probably very familiar with this passage. Um, but I think there's a few things that are going to point out that are going to be significant for us today. So let's, let's just read this together. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon who we know is is Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. I love that detail Matthew gives, right? Like, why else would they be casting a net if they weren't fishermen? (laughs) Um, But he just wants us to know they were fishermen. And and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you not fishers of fish anymore, but fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. This is probably one of the funniest lines in scripture that I've ever seen, right? I just picture this moment of like, you know, they're out there with Papa Zebedee, and he's out there mending some nets, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, hey, boys, y'all come follow me, right? And then like old Zebedee is like, turns around. He's like, where'd my boys go? And they're like swimming to land, you know, following this rabbi. Um, But this is the picture, right, of of Jesus's first initial calling. Of, of his disciples. And this is and, and something that you'll know early on that you'll notice is that Jesus has a very different process for calling his disciples. Right? I mean, first look at who he calls. He doesn't call those that have studied to be a rabbi, right? These guys are fishermen. If they had been studying to be a rabbi, they would still be following a rabbi around at this point. But they weren't good enough, right? They couldn't hack it. They couldn't memorize enough of scripture, and so they went into the family business. And so they were fishermen. Also notice the process, right? Typically in this Talmud process, that disciple uh, would go to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, can I follow you? But what happens in our story? Jesus goes to them and says, come follow me, right? Like if you want to be humbled, right? If you want to be humbled in your life about what, I mean, the God of the universe that came and wrapped on flesh comes to you and says, I want you to follow me. I know the world doesn't say that you're worthy of it, but yet I find you worthy of it. Not because of who you are, but because who you can be with me in you, right? So you come and follow me. That's huge. That's huge. 
But look, look at the process, right? I want us to really key in on, these, on this phrase here that Jesus says to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think in this phrase we're going to see uh, two crucial components that it's going to take to be a follower of Jesus. First, I want us to look at this word follow, right? This word follow. When Jesus says follow, he is calling them to a radical abandonment of all things for Jesus. See, they didn't know this yet. And I'm sure in the moment, probably given their circumstance and how uh, from, from, a, from a Jewish system, they probably were considered uh, as those that couldn't make the grade. Um, they were probably uh, very excited to be called by this rabbi. But what they probably didn't realize in this moment, but Jesus knew for them, was when they were going to follow him, it was going to cost them everything. It was literally going to cost them everything. And so I think it's, it's true for us. When we follow Jesus, as followers of Jesus, that there's nothing that, that's off the table for him to call us to do in, in our lives. Because it's all his. See, I love uh, one of the guys I was uh, reading this week. is a guy named uh, Vance Habner. And uh, what Habner says is this. He says, salvation is free. It's the gift of God is eternal life. It's not cheap, for it costs God his son and the son his life. But it's free, right? It's free for us. However, when we become believers, we become disciples. And that will cost everything we have. Our Lord was after disciples, not just merely joiners. I think that's important that we count the cost. And we realize that to follow Jesus, to be a Talmud following this rabbi, to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to cost us something. And I want to be really clear in that because I feel like for too long in the church, we've kind of made it really, really easy for people. And I feel like we've really, really misled a lot of people. Because um, what we'll typically say is, you don't want to go to hell. That's true. Jesus offers salvation. It's free. That's true. So all you have to do is say a prayer. And in that all you have to do is say a prayer part, I feel like we miss the cost of discipleship. Because yes, while it is true that salvation and grace is free, it's a gift from God, being a disciple, Jesus is very clear that it can cost and will cost you everything. I mean, look at the lives of these fishermen, right? Sometimes we like to think that, man, they were just poor fishermen, right? But in this culture and in this time, when they followed Jesus, they were giving up some pretty significant things. They were giving up a career and a family business. At this point, if you guys remember, um, um, you know, kind of in their culture, that they were controlled by who? What, what was the big, the big dog that was controlling this area at that time? Rome, right? And so, and so they had to pay taxes to Rome, and they had to pay part, part things out to Rome. And so, and so for them to be able to have a career where they had a steady income, right? And, and, and at least for a couple of these guys, it sounds like they even had their own boat, right? And so they were giving all of that away. They were giving that career away. They were giving that security away, right? Even though it may not have been the most glamorous job, even though, they, yes, they may not have been a Talmud following a rabbi, it may not have been the most respected job. It was, there was security in that. There was security in that, and it was comfort in that. And then finally, they gave up their family, right? Even that ultimate call of that they left their families, and they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand that call of when Jesus calls us, that we're willing to abandon everything for him. 
And it's, it's amazing when you go back and you look through the Gospels, you go back and look through the life of Jesus, uh, the accounts we have of Jesus, of how many times Jesus is so clear on this um, call to follow him and what it will call to, cost to follow him. And yet so many times we go back and we're surprised when it costs us something, right? When it costs us a comfort or a convenience or something that we're not willing to give up. But Jesus is very clear to his would-be followers of what it's going to cost him. One of those places is in Luke chapter 9. He talks about that. Uh, and I would encourage you this week to go back to write that, that verse reference down and go back and look in, in Luke 9. I think it's uh, somewhere around verse 21 or so. Um, in Luke chapter 9, he talks about the cost. But also again in Luke chapter 14, and I want us to look through this passage together. Luke 14, this is beginning in verse 25. And just listen to what Jesus is, is trying to help the crowds to understand. Now great crowds accompanied him and followed uh, accompanied him and turned, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, my Talmud, my follower. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower would not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and, and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great distance off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I mean, could it be any clearer what Jesus is saying here? That there's a cost. That there's a cost. And I think if, if we are going to make disciples, again, we have to first be disciples. And if we're going to be disciples, it's important that we realize that when we sign on to be a Talmud, to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus, that it's a, it's a call to follow him. And that there's nothing off the table. It reminds me of a story I heard of a, of a young man, uh, a young believer one time, and um, he was so convicted about what it, what it meant to follow Jesus and what he needed to do to, to give up to follow Jesus. And so he, t he takes out a piece of paper and he starts to write down things that he's willing to give to Jesus. That Sunday he comes and he takes that, that piece of paper and he lays it down on the altar. And he said, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving all of these things to you to trust you in. And yet as he was in that moment, he felt just this sense of emptiness. He felt like just this, this deep discontent with, with what he had wrote on his list. And so he takes his list back, and he goes back that week, and he, and he continues to write things down. He makes the list longer. He flips it over on the back and fills up the back page. And he goes the next Sunday, and he lays it on the altar again and said, God, these are things I want to give to you. And yet again, he still gets this deep sense of, of emptiness and, 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 and just this lack of fulfillment. So he takes the paper back, and he goes, and he meets with an old pastor that week. And he tells the pastor what, what he had been through, what he was experiencing, and, and the pastor gives him some incredible advice. He says this, he says, what I want you to do is, he said, take a blank piece of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and put that on the altar. And I think that's the call that Jesus calls for his disciples, right? It's not that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define the terms through which I will follow you, Jesus, but I'm signing that blank piece of paper. And it's whatever you call me to do that, that, that I'm willing to abandon to follow you. 
At Bedrock, we have a phrase that we use a lot of times. It's called putting your yes on the table. And it's, and it's this idea that when we put our yes on the table, no matter what God calls us to do, their yes is already on the table. There's nothing I'm not willing to do, to abandon, to give up, no place I'm not willing to go if you call me to do that. And I think that's what it means when Jesus calls these guys to follow him, these young guys, right? I think a lot of times we, we don't understand these guys were probably teenagers at this point, right? We like to think a lot of times, I think of them as these like haggard, haggardly seasoned old men that have been through all these experiences, right? But these guys are teenagers. These are young guys, and they, they probably didn't have a complete understanding of what it was going to cost them. But yet when Jesus called them, he knew it would cost them everything. All of these guys, except for one, ended up losing their life in order to follow Jesus. And I think it's important that we fully understand that cost for us as well. So what I'd like us to do is um, I want us to take a couple minutes um, and and just kind of talk about that um, with some people around you. So maybe get in groups of four or five people. Um, and here's what I want us to, to discuss. Uh, what in your life do you need to abandon or would you be willing to abandon to fully follow Jesus, right? What, what, and what, what maybe be the hardest thing for you to give up, right? What would be the hardest thing for you if, if, if Jesus called you to do something, to go somewhere, to give something up for him? What would be the hardest thing for you to do, and would you be willing to do it? And I think it's important that we just have that 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 really candid conversation um, with some people around you. Um, and so let's take a couple of minutes and, and just kind of talk about that. Um, and then we're going to come back together and look at the second aspect uh, of following Jesus. All right, guys. Um, I, I, know, uh, I know we're probably not done discussing this, um, but we're going to move on to the next point. Next thing Jesus says here. So, so Jesus, Jesus calls, calls us to abandon everything, right? That's the idea of following him. Um, that, that, again, like that, that Talmud that would follow the rabbi, they're going to give up all of, all of their former life to follow this rabbi along. Um, but, but that's not enough. Jesus doesn't call us just to this ascetic life where it's like we just give everything up and that somehow earns us status or points uh, toward, toward God. The second part of that, though, is we have to understand not just the follow, but, but the me part of that. It's also going to require a radical dependence on Jesus for all things. If we're going to give up all of those things for Jesus, we also must depend on him for all things. We must truly believe um, and live like we need Jesus for every aspect of our life. And I'll just be honest, I think this right here may be harder than even the giving up because it's... It's just so subtle, and it's everything, right? I think sometimes we, we can do a, a decent job in our lives of giving up things, especially when there are things we know we should give up. You know, like when we know it's a bad habit or, or things that are, you know, a sin in our life, um, it's, it's kind of easier for us to identify that and maybe work through giving those things up. Um, I know the, the good things in life are obviously harder if God calls us that something that's good in life um, to reprioritize that in the light of, of, of Jesus and following him. But I think what we do a lot of times is we give up these things, but yet we don't ever replace them. We don't ever, we don't ever then turn to Christ to fill in all of those things that we gave up. And I think this radical call of, 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 of abandoning 
also has to be followed by a radical call of dependence. Because Jesus, because Jesus came to, to be everything. And so, uh, just like these disciples, right? They gave up everything so that Jesus could become everything to them. And I think that's what Jesus, I know that's what Jesus wants us to do. I love the picture that Jesus gives in John 15, verse 5. I know this is a super familiar passage, but, but I just, I love this picture. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can be nothing, do nothing. And I love that idea, right, of like Jesus is, is the vine. He is the source. And we're the branch. We are the extension of Jesus. And the only way that we are going to do what we need to do and produce the things that we need to produce is if we are connected to him. We're tied in and we are connected to that vine. One of the, one of the things I was studying uh, this week said this. It says, whereas a student today studies a subject, law, architecture, whatever that may be, a disciple in the olden days learned from the teacher. I love this phrase. He says, attachment to a specific teacher was the essence of discipleship. They learned from him and attached themselves wholeheartedly to him today when we study we think about going to college and we think about we, we think about a subject i'm going to be a doctor i'm going to be a lawyer i'm going to study health sciences i'm going to i had a friend that uh hopefully she won't listen to this but i had a, a friend that that had a degree in pre-professional science and i asked her one time i said what does that mean what, is, what do you do with that degree and she goes we can't really do anything with it it just helps you when you want to go further in your education i was like i don't understand that Right? But our context, we think about things that we, we study the subject. But yet a disciple is not so much focused on the subject in which they study, but the person in which that is teaching them. And so for the Talmud, it wasn't so much that they were, yes, they learned the, the Old Testament, but they learned that through the lens of studying the life of the rabbi that taught them that. And I think that's the, the call that Jesus calls for us. Uh, there's a guy named Ray Vanderlyn um, who, who Ross kind of brought into my life this week and has just kind of wrecked a lot of, of things in my life this week, um, just listening to, to what he, how he talks about uh, the disciple and how they would follow Jesus. And one of the phrases that he uses over and over again um, that was used um, to describe the Talmud uh, was this. He says that the Talmud wanted to be covered in the dust of the rabbi covered in the dust of the rabbi. And just think about that picture, right? It's a picture that this disciple would follow that teacher so closely that as the teacher walked, that then that, that follower would be covered by his dust. He would be walking so close to that teacher that, that he would get covered in the dust of that teacher walking from place to place. And I think that's the picture here of, of what it looks like for us. Are we dependent, are we following Jesus so closely that the, the dust that's, follow, that's coming from his feet is landing on us? See, the disciple would do everything in their life the way the rabbi would do it. In fact, it even, uh, history even tells us that, that these Talmud or Talmudim would follow the rabbi even into the bathroom. Like they took this to the extreme. They wanted to follow him in every aspect of his life. And yet that's what we're called to do is to follow Jesus in every aspect of our life. Being like the rabbi was the major focus for the, Tal for the Talmud. And they, would, they believed, they would believe that they could be, one day they could be just like the rabbi. 
And I, and I wonder, like, in our lives, do we really believe that we can be just like Jesus? Like, I know we say it a lot. I know we even, like, make bracelets sometimes that we can wear around that says, what would Jesus do, and things like that. But, like, I wonder, honestly, if we really believe that we can be like Jesus. Because that's what he says. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the goal of following him, is, is not just to learn a lot of things about him, but it's ultimately to be like him. And I wonder in our, in our lives if we, if we really believe that. And if we really want that in our lives, if we really want to be like Jesus, it's going to take a commitment of learning how he lived his life. Right? And this is something that clicked for me this week that, that I never really saw before. Um, it just brought a new light to the importance of the Bible, the Word of God. I think for me this week it was easy to say, well, yeah, that's how the, that's how the Talmud would do that. They would follow this rabbi around. They would follow this person around, and that's the process for them. But, but we don't have Jesus to follow around. And it just clicked for me this week. So for, for, for some reason, I'd never seen it this way, but, but we do. Like, that is the point of the gospel. That's the point of the message of the Word of God, is that we literally have the story and the account, the eyewitness account, as if we were standing there walking with Jesus, we have that account of what Jesus' life looked like and how he interacted with people and how he loved on people. And yet at the same time, how many times do we just not even do anything with that? Right? Like, like we have access to the life of Jesus and to be able to learn from that, but yet how many times do we make excuses for other things that we find more important? Are we being completely dependent on Jesus for all things? I was kind of thinking this week, it's kind of like with my kids. Um, and a lot of my stories revolve around my kids because that's pretty much what all I feel like I do these days. Um, but, but it's like our, our kids. And one of the things you know about kids is as kids grow up and as they get to a certain age, two, three years old, when they start talking... They start talking like the people, the influences that are around them. And so here's something that, that, that clicked for me again this week that I had never noticed. Um, so, so, you know, we have an interesting family dynamic. Our oldest is not really our firstborn um, since we adopted. And so, uh, but, our, but our firstborn, Truett, uh, who's now six, um, if you ever talk to Truett, you'll notice that he talks like a little adult. He doesn't talk like a kid. Like, he used, he's used phrases and things um, that, 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 like... I'm just like, where did you, where did you understand? Where did you hear that word? Where did you hear that phrase? Why, why are you saying that? Um, and it like, it blows my mind sometimes the way he talks and the things that he comes up with. Um, and, and it hit me this week that when Truett was growing up for the first three, four years, the people that he had to watch and to learn from was Nicole and I. And so it makes absolute sense that he talks like an adult because that was his influence. That was, that was who he followed. That was who he listened to. But yet our other kids, as they grew up, they had brothers and sisters. And so they talk more like kids do because that was their influence. And it just kind of hit me this week, and I was just like, man, that's crazy. But yet I wonder if our lives don't look like Jesus, could it be because we're not really following Jesus? Because mm-hmm. we're not investing our lives. One thing that stood out, uh, that guy Ray Vanderland I was telling you about, one of the comments he made was uh, when he, he said when he was studying in seminary, he went to a Jewish seminary to study. Uh, in Israel, because he, he, he really wanted to learn, uh, especially a lot of the, the Hebrew and the Old Testament uh, things. And so he said, as he was talking to his classmates who were not Christians, these were, these were Jewish uh, students, 
He said, you can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you're not at least reading through the Gospels of Jesus at least one time a month. That means all four of them one time a month. He said, to be a disciple, what it looks like to be a disciple in this Jewish culture is that you would be that close to your rabbi. And that really hit me this week because I thought, man, I feel, I feel good if I could check off the box of reading through the Gospels one time a year. Right? My reading plan, I'm like, man, I read off. But it just kind of hit me in a new way. Am I not investing enough of my life in following Jesus as my rabbi? Am I not becoming dependent on him for all things? When something comes up in my life, do I just try to fix it? Or do I go and see what Jesus would tell me about that situation? How he would guide me in that area of my life? And so let's, let's take a couple more minutes, and I want us to talk about that idea of dependence. Uh, and, and, and really ask the question, like, what, what is a step? Is there a step in your life that you need to take this week, right? A practical step of, of being more dependent on Jesus. Honestly, it, it could be, if, if you were where I was, it, just that commitment of getting into the Gospels and the life of Jesus, right? How can I know what Jesus would have me do in a situation if I don't first read what he did in those situations and see how he lived and how he walked. And so I would, I would challenge you um, this week if, if, if that's not where you're investing your time to start investing time in the word of God somewhere. Maybe it's the gospels. Maybe it's somewhere else. Um, maybe there's something else. There's another way. Maybe there's just been these things in your life that you've been carrying on your own and you're just not willing to, to trust Jesus with that and be dependent on him to come through in those situations. Um, but I think it's important that we talk about that, not just, not just that we sit around and, and, and discuss it to learn from that, but also I think there's a level of accountability when we say that to somebody else. Like, this week, I'm going to invest myself in getting in the Word of God um, every day this week. I'm going to read a chapter. I'm going to read you know, a, a passage, whatever it is. There's an accountability that comes with that. Um, and we talked about this in our life group, like, we need that accountability. I need that accountability. Um, and so, so I think this time of discussion can kind of play two different roles uh, for us. And so let's take a few minutes and talk about that. Um, and then we're going to wrap up this passage um, of, of, of what it means to be a disciple and then how we go and make more disciples. Okay? So let's take a couple more minutes, discuss this, and we'll come back together. Well, guys, we're, uh, we're going to bring our, our discussion back all together. I know it wasn't much time this time, um, but we, we have an interview today, and I don't want it to be here at 12 o'clock. What? Oh. Uh, oh, I was like, so radical abandonment, radical dependence on Jesus, right? And the last thing I would just want to conclude with um, just understanding is um, in, this, in this passage, um, Chad, if you go back to the, that uh, Matthew 4 passage, um, I want us to look back at, at this call. Um, go back to the Matthew 4. It's probably toward the beginning. Okay, cool. Um, so, so notice what Jesus says um, when he's talking to, with the call. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Who is it that makes us the fishers of men? Jesus. Jesus, right? I feel like I feel like so many times practically, what we say is, I'm going to give up all these things, I'm going to depend on Jesus, but then I'm still going to make myself do it, right? I, it's it's going to be up to me if I can be if I can be smart enough, or if I can be winsome enough, or if I can be engaging enough, then I can make people come follow Jesus. But what does he tell him? He said, "It's not even about you." He said, "He said, 
Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to be the one that will make you fishers of men. And I think that's just the encouragement we need to be reminded of is that it's, that it's really Jesus in us, right? That's what's going to draw people. I love the picture of, of fishers of men, right? Because back in that day, as we know, it wasn't fishing with a pole, but it was casting a net, right? And that net then would draw the fish in. And I think, I think the, the point here is that when, when we have Jesus, right, when we abandon all things and we're dependent on Jesus for all things, when we do those, those things, and Jesus is at the core of our hearts and our lives, and we're following him like the Talmud follows the rabbi, and, and we cast out those nets and we go out into the world, that there's going to be something within us that's going to draw people to Jesus, right? It's going to be Jesus inside of us that's going to draw them in, just like when you cast that net. It's going to draw people. See, Jesus wants us to be disciple makers, and that's the process. And I know a lot of times we can feel uh, unqualified and not capable. Um, and I'm sure that these guys probably felt the, the same way. But there's a moment in Acts when they're talking about these guys, these teenagers, right? That, that throughout the Gospels, when you read their stories, like they got it wrong more than they got it right. But I love, I love there are a few points um, and I believe it's an Acts where they said that, you know, these were just ordinary, common men, but they acknowledged that they must have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. And I think that's true in our lives. If we want to go and we want to make disciples, uh, we can come up with all the programs and all the plans in the world, but yet if Jesus isn't the first main thing in our hearts and our lives, we're not going to draw people to him. We're going to attract them to ourselves. We're going to attract them to whatever else we're trying to push, but we're not going to draw them to Jesus. And so um, I just want to encourage us today as we think about this, right? And as we go out and we make those disciples. Um, so the first step is us being those disciples. And then we multiply that. We reproduce that. We invest in other people and help them to become, right? The picture is we're helping people become what Jesus has already done in our lives. And that's why, what, that's why I love that quote from A.W. Tozer. Unless we're first a disciple, we can't make disciples, right? And so as humbling as that may be, we're trying to reproduce. And so if our lives as a disciple is not worthy or worth reproduction, we need to fix that, right? Because that's, that's the process of, of making disciples. But if we go and we do that, we also have to realize that it's Jesus through us that does the work. Um, and so I just want to encourage us in that way. And so um, today, hopefully that has been encouraging for you. Hopefully that's been challenging for you. Uh, I know it has been for me uh, this week of just thinking about how I can be a disciple. Um, and then next week, we're going to talk more practically about what are maybe some of those ways that we can do that. What does it look like in a discipling relationship? What am I doing when I get together with people and invest in them? Um, and that's going to be where we spend uh, our time. And so uh, if you guys will, let's pray uh, one more time. And then, and then we got one more thing we're going to talk about today. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for, um, God, just the opportunity to get into your word. Um, God, I pray that we would be your disciples. Uh, we would be those that are called to follow you. Um, and, God, we just thank you for the opportunity we had to get together today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.